It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. <laughs> Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 chance. Still 6-0. Tampa Bay leading the Blue Jays bottom of the sixth in Toronto. NHL activity will be heating up on the weekend. We'll learn the protected lists for each team on Sunday. The NHL awards in Las Vegas are one week from tomorrow. Connor McDavid, I would expect, will win the Hart Trophy. McClellan up for Coach of the Year. Shirelli up for GM of the Year. And Vegas will announce their expansion draft picks one week from tomorrow as well. And then the draft in Chicago, 6.30, Ched, will have coverage next Friday night. And next Saturday morning, that's the 23rd and 24th. And then also on Saturday, the 24th, Eskimos season opener at the BC Lions. Their preseason closer is on Thursday in Winnipeg, 5 o'clock for the pregame show. The game will start at 6.30. A lot of young men hoping to make pro rosters for the first time, including Spruce Grove native who has been a standout running back for the U of A Golden Bears for the last several seasons, now trying to make the Ottawa Red Blacks. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Ed Ilnicki. Ed, how are you doing? Great, Reed. Great to be back on. Great to talk to you. Excited to see how things hear how things are going out west and give you a lowdown on what's going on out here. Yeah, well, it's good to catch up with you. I mean, uh, we've we've had you on the show throughout your, your standout career with the Alberta Golden Bears. So I know you were a guy I was watching to see, you know, uh, where you'd get drafted, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, what? Let's start there. Let's let's go back. What was that experience like for you? You wound up going 62nd overall to the Ottawa Red Blacks. So you had a bit of a weight. Yep. Uh, what was what was that weight like? Was it excruciating or or give me the emotional experience of waiting to get your name called. Yeah, I mean, I knew going into the draft, and I think uh, Tyler as well, who got drafted just a couple picks after me, we both knew that just given our given our body of work and everything, we weren't guys that were going to be in sort of that first or first to third round. We knew we'd fall a little bit later in the game, but even then, as soon as that clock starts on that first pick, you're kind of your heart rate picks up a little bit and you start paying a bit more attention to what's going on and you start seeing, you want to know who, because there's a lot of guys that I've played with throughout my career and then at East West last year that I met that were going pretty up, pretty high up in the draft. So you want to check in on where those guys are going. So your heart rate starts to pick up. We get into the fourth, fifth round, you know, okay, and this is kind of where I think I fit in if I'm going to get that kind of an opportunity. So that's when I really started to pay attention. But the good thing was the Oilers were playing, uh, I think it was game five against Anaheim was back in Edmonton. So that game, and that was the blowout game. Oh, uh, game six, seven, one. Yep. Yeah. Game six. Yeah. yeah so that was, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I was able to, kind of ease myself off like watching that and then that game ended and then it was kind of into that last couple rounds there so I was really focused on my computer and kind of waiting for a phone call okay so once you got the call what would you do who'd you tell and all that kind of stuff 
I was at home with my parents, so that was they were obviously the first ones to find out. So that was really exciting. Uh, next phone call was my grandpa to let him know what was going on, and he and he was just <laughs> he was excited for me. He was just trying to figure out the whole process. He's like, "Oh, Ottawa! Like that's that's awesome!" And he's like, "I didn't really know they were kind of they were looking at you or whatever." And he's just he's just really excited for me. And it was uh, that was something that was really special. And then as soon as I got off the phone with him, your phone just explodes, right? You've got text messages <laughs> and everything from a billion different people. And the best part about it, and I've told a couple people about this, is Coach Morris. Uh, Coach Morris sends me a text, but you know how you can do on the new iMessage on your iPhone, you can send a little confetti message where it sent like sprays confetti down across your screen. So I got one of those from Coach Morris, and that was like, that was the best part. That was the best part of my night out of the whole experience. That was, my, I think, my favorite thing. Just knowing the guy coach is for him to use something like that was just didn't see it coming whatsoever. Chris Morris, of course, uh, your coach for the past several seasons with, with the U of A Golden Bears. Ed Olnicki joining us, drafted by the Ottawa Red Blacks. Okay, Ottawa Red Blacks, last two mm-hmm. years, a playoff foe for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're, did you have any, like, hey, you're that guy I was cheering against the last couple of years when you walked into the locker room, or what was that experience like? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, you start to rec- you recognize a lot of the faces, guys that, guys that you've seen on TV, and you start to see some names, and plus... Uh, CFL guys move around all the time too, right? So there's a couple of new guys that I've recognized that played in Toronto or played in Hamilton, that kind of thing. But I mean, the locker room, you think about the organization's only been back in action for four or five years now, right? And then you go into that locker room, you kind of have an expectation of, well, the veterans are pretty established and they're going to be kind of doing their own thing all the time. But it's it's a very open locker room. I mean, there's obviously, when you come in as a rookie, there's uh, there's a bit of, you have to pay your dues and you have to, put up with a little bit of stuff here and there just because you're a first-year guy and you got to keep the events entertained throughout training camp. But after that, it's I, I've been lucky that everybody's there for me. Everybody's, if I have any questions, they're the first people I can ask. They don't, nobody holds anything back. I would, the best way to sum it up is nobody's too good for anybody else in the locker room. And everybody takes care of it. Everybody's bought into what's what this organization is all about and not just from a personnel perspective but from the coaches and from the training staff and the equipment staff i think everybody's really focused on what they're trying to do and nobody's trying to hinder anybody else from getting there yeah well that sounds great so you got you got through a preseason game i want to ask you about that and you got another one coming up on thursday but give me a sense ed of of the the differences that you've sensed so far of being Mm -hmm. around pro players and how that has changed from the last few years of, of university ball because, I mean, yeah. guys get weeded out at, at every level, right? So now it's even more yeah. elite guys you're around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's obvious there's the obvious ones, like the, just the guys are bigger, guys are faster. The speed of the game happens a lot faster. Um, I found that a lot of the concepts and in terms of, like, the playbook, a lot of the concepts are similar to what we've done, what I've done it university in the past but it's just that next level of detail and then a level of detail above that where you're talking about 
the difference between an inside edge of the number split for a receiver versus the outside of an edge of a number. Like that's something that I've never really thought about and how much of a difference it makes when you see the space in the routes and that kind of stuff. And sitting in on those meetings, I'm just trying to, the first few days of, of training camp is just another level of how much material you're kind of bringing in. But when you get to the game plan, you realize that training camp is you've installed so much and then you scale that back to what you can, what you're going to do in the game. So then you can go out and play a million miles an hour. So adjusting to the speed, the first couple reps on field was something that was a big difference last week. Um, I was able to go out and I think I was able to do a good job of, I knew what I was, I was comfortable with what I had to do. And I just had to go out there and play as fast as I can, which I'm going to have to keep finding another gear to keep excelling at that because the guys in this league just keep getting faster and faster. So those are the two big ones. I'd say the speed of the game, that adjustment, and then that level of detail that it takes to really excel. Ed, that's a yeah, great answer. I love what you talked about there with, uh, you know, with all those little details, right, that can be the difference between a win or a loss uh, in pro mm-hmm. football. You, you got into last week's preseason game. Um, you had a 21-yard carry. So, I mean, you must have felt pretty good. You got to touch the ball a few times. But do you think it's ultimately going to be special teams that, that put you on this team or not, or how are you looking at it? I know that coming in as a Canadian, and especially as a Canadian running back, there's you know, there's a couple of guys that have done it in the past that have made it as a starting Canadian tailback, but everybody knows, and it doesn't matter where you come from or what your pedigree is. If you can play special teams, that's how you earn your shot, and that's how you earn a spot on the bus. So Coach Dice here in Ottawa, is, uh, he's been fantastic. He He's great about keeping the system pretty simple and letting guys go out there and use their skills and working on a few things here and there, but he's not going to install a bunch of really complex stuff. So that's been really helpful. They, been uh, made the adjustment a lot easier coming up from university, but I know that that's where that's where I'm gonna get my spot on the bus, and that's the that's been the that's the mantra for every Canadian running back, and that should be the mantra for every Canadian that's looking to crack a CFL roster because that's where you can if you can play those spots and you can do a good job and get your job done. You, you never know when you never know when like an injury is going to happen or something's just going to turn up that you're going to get, you're going to get into the game. And if you can go out and do your job, then that's when you start to build a bit more credibility and get a bit more of a a repertoire of what you've done as a tailback. Right. So that's where you, that's where you have to start off for sure. All right. So you got uh, what Thursday you guys play again against Montreal. Yeah. We're going to Montreal to hop on the bus on Thursday, head out there <laughs> and hopefully come back with another W. And is this just, uh, I mean, do you, do you think you'll, you, you might get even more touches in this game or are you just worried about whenever I'm on the field, do my job? Like how are you approaching this? Absolutely. One? Yeah. Yeah. You got to play it one snap at a time for sure. We haven't discussed, we're going to get a bit more of a breakdown in terms of what the reps will look like come tomorrow. We have one more walkthrough before we head out there. So we'll get a bit more of a sense then, but I, I mean, you just want to go out there and have fun too, right? Like it's a it's a fantastic experience, especially as somebody that's come out of university pretty young compared to I think I'm one of the youngest guys in this camp by far. So you got to go out there and enjoy the whole experience. And that was my big thing last week is you get out there and you realize how much fun playing at such a fast speed with a pretty awesome crowd in Ottawa. So I'm excited to see what it's going to be like in Montreal. Okay, perfect. Well, and who do who do you? Uh, I mean, you talking to your? You mentioned your, your grandfather. Daily updates yeah. for him and your family now that, now that you're out there. Or how do you handle it? <laughs> About every other day, my dad. Uh, my dad took a radio silence approach. He didn't want to be too overbearing on what was going on. But he had a couple times where he said, 
he said I, I, I cracked I had to I had to text you and see how everything's going I just I can't stand it anymore that was after about a week and a half so he did a pretty good job but they were able to come out here for my first game in uh last weekend so my parents were both out here so that was awesome for them to be out here Okay, perfect. Well, Ed, it's it's great to see you doing well. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I always love following through on the on the U of A success stories, and you're definitely one. So have a great game on Thursday, and hope to see your name on that final roster on the weekend, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Reed. Appreciate it. That is great to talk to Ed Ilnicki. Outstanding interview, outstanding running back for the U of A, and uh, he's made it through the first preseason game with the Red Blacks. He'll play again on uh, Thursday. Well-spoken young man, works really hard. I would love to see him earn a pro career. If not, he does have a year of eligibility left with the U of A Golden Bears, but man, that would be cool if he stuck with Ottawa. It's Inside Sports on 630. Chad, the Blue Jays trailing Tampa Bay 6-0. They're now into the top of the 7th. You can reach me at 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Our Father's Day week features will continue in uh, about 15 minutes with former NHL goaltender Sean Burke and his son Brendan, who's now a goaltender for the uh, University of Alberta Golden Bears. That'll be fun. Coming right back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. Tuning in tonight, 721. Inside Sports on 6:30. Chet, always appreciate when you tune in. We're uh, back tomorrow. Glenn Johnson, the CFL's director of football, will be one of our guests. We got the Eskimos game coming up on Thursday. Another game on uh, Friday, or pardon me, another uh, Inside Sports coming up on Friday. So that's what's going on the rest of the week. Hope you can tune in as much as your busy lives allow. And really, how could you ever be too busy? to listen to Inside Sports. Uh, Len says, make a rule in the NHL that players have to leave their mouth guards in their mouth. They drive me crazy. That is from Len. You do see a lot of guys chewing on it, don't they? What's it protecting if you're chewing on it? Tomahawk George texting in. I believe from the town of Tomahawk. I don't think he carries around a Tomahawk. He says, uh, judo should be the stinkiest sport, but the level of etiquette is very high and judo is not smelly. We were talking about the stinkiest sports earlier on. Lacrosse may be the surprise winner. Uh, Officials in the NHL don't call anything anyway, says one texter. Get rid of one of the refs. Make more room for the players. Here's a text from Corey who says, why not let every team keep their timeout as a timeout? Introduce introduce a goal review card for each team in the NHL. Upon playing this card to the official, the team playing the card will get the call reviewed. If the review is in its favor, it gets the goal. If the review stands in line with the official's call on the ice, the team gets a delay of, pay, a delay of game penalty. Play as many cards as you are willing to take on but you would still get delay of game penalties. 
And three, most important, all reviews must be performed by a third-party NHL administration, not the official who already made the bad call. That's from Corey. Well, I think that it should be reviewed by some somebody other than the officials. He, the delay of game penalty is definitely something has been discussed. I like his idea of uh, that you'd actually would give a card to the official saying that you wanted to review the goal. Well, how about this? What if each team got 20 cards for the season? You get 20 challenges for the season. Use five in a game, whatever. Then you got 15 left. Wouldn't that be interesting? As opposed to just saying, well, you can review it, but you lose your timeout if you're wrong, or you keep your timeout if you get... I mean, you know what I mean? Like, why tie it to the timeout? If you think that a call stinks, you should be able to challenge it. But if you gave a team, what, 20, 25 per season, they'd kind of have to budget it. I don't mind that idea. It'd be a little quirky, but is it any quirkier than... Coaches in football throwing a, a flag on the field to get a play looked at? Is it any uh, quirkier than uh, a team getting a point for losing in a shootout or an overtime like they do in the NHL? I mean, there's a lot of things that you would think, well, that'll never work. They'll never do that. And then uh, eventually they do it, and it just becomes part of the sport. Really enjoyed having Ed Nicky on the show. You have a Golden Bear running back trying out for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, pretty good first game, played on special teams, had three touches, including a 21-yard carry. I love what he was talking about, the, the level of detail that uh, you know is necessary now that he's moved up a level and we you know we always talk about a quarterback well you got to hit the numbers you got to throw it on the numbers and he's saying you know the execution for a play the timing it comes down to you know where on the numbers are you, are you hitting the outside of the numbers or the inside of the numbers where exactly is the ball going to be that's how precise they're worried about being here uh, with the Ottawa Red Blacks so I thought that was pretty fascinating stuff great to have uh, Ed on the show we'll keep tabs on him uh, throughout the uh, season, hopefully throughout the CFL season. If all goes well, he'll be here uh, in July as a member of the Ottawa Red Blacks when they play the Eskimos on uh, July the 14th. That'll be week uh, four of the CFL season. It'll be uh, the third game of the season for the Eskimos. They have a buy in. Uh, they have a buy in week three this year. They don't have the funny buys like they have the last couple of years. This texture says the smelliest thing in sports is the mascot suit. Well, probably correct. Probably correct. You could text 630-630. The uh, Oilers protected list. I don't expect any surprises. You'll have Dreisaitl. You'll have Lucic. You'll have Nugent Hopkins. You'll have Eberle. You'll have Cassian. You'll have Maroon. You'll have Letestu for the seven forwards. You'll have Sekra. You'll have Clefbaum. You'll have Larson for the defense. And obviously you'll have Talbot as your goaltender. I would expect the Oilers are probably going to lose Griffin Reinhardt or Jujar Kara to the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll find out one week from tomorrow. All right, it's 7.26. We got the news with Cassandra coming up. And then Sean Burke and Brendan Burke, father and son goaltending combo. As we continue our Father's Week segments here on the show, we had Matthew Benning, Brian Benning, and Abby Benning all in studio last night. You missed that. Go to the 630Chet Audio Vault. Go to the Inside Sports page on 630Chet.com. Coming right back. from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, there's Jordan Everly. Will we have him seeing uh, one of those intros next season? That's the big uh, question mark here for the Oilers going into the summer. We shall see. Would not surprise me 
but uh, then again, I've been surprised before. Reid Wilkins with you inside sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can always text 630-630-7804960063 is the uh, phone number. Right away, we're going to hook up with uh, Sean and uh, Brendan Burke. A couple minutes. We'll get them both on the line as we continue our uh, Father's Day week specials. Some text to 630-630. I just threw it out there earlier. If you could change one rule for the NHL for next season, what would it be? Ask Kelly Rudy that, and he actually said, forget about goalie interference and video reviews. He would make it a penalty to commit a hand pass in your own end. Used to be a stoppage in play back when I was just a lad. Then they made it so it's it's not a stoppage in play. He, he would actually make it a penalty if you uh, hand pass the puck in your own end of the rink. Uh, make sure that one of the officials reviewing the call is an ex-NHL goalie. That's a text to 630-630. Absolutely. Vic says, I have a better idea. Get rid of reviews altogether. They are ruining sports all over the place. That is from Vic, who would just scrap video review. Vic, I got to tell you, I wouldn't scrap it entirely. I would scrap it on the offsides, though. I, I still think you should have the goal line technology to tell whether or not the puck went over the line. I know it's not perfect, but I, but I still think that's important. Uh, text to 630-630. All right, my name is Reed Wilkins. Good to have you tuning in tonight. We're going to welcome to the show former NHL goaltender Sean Burke. Sean, you're on with Reed. Thanks for making time for me tonight. We're going to connect with Brandon here in a minute or two, but how are you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, Reed, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, we, we did this Father's Day uh, thing last year. It went over pretty well, and we kicked it off uh, last night with Matthew Benning, Brian Benning, and Abby Benning, who plays for the U of A Pandas. Uh, so that was a pretty uh, pretty cool uh, combination, and I believe we do now have Brendan on the line as well. Brendan, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Doing good. Good and Sean is here as well, so good to good to connect with you guys. Let's, uh, I'll, Brendan. I'll start with you. I, I I had you on during the U of A season. H- how do you look back on uh, on your first season as as a Golden Bear, and how's your summer going? Oh, it was really good. I didn't have much expectations heading in. I didn't really know much about uh, U of A, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. We had a good group of guys, and uh, yeah, I'm actually just driving back from slow pitch right now. So summer's going good. Okay, did you win? <laughs> Yeah, we did. I got Tyson Bailey in the car with me, too, right now. Oh, hi, Tyson. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How about yourself? Good. Two Golden Bears for the price of one. Well, Sean, you're the only one not currently in university being interviewed. But uh... <laughs> I was never in university being interviewed. <laughs> uh, well, you wound up playing 820 NHL games. What was it like for you? Because, you know, we want to talk about the father-son angle here. What was it like for you seeing uh, Brendan become uh, a goaltender? Like, were you reluctant to have him take on the same position you played, or how did that play out for you? Yeah, at first I was. Um, you know, when Brendan was real young, I just wanted him to enjoy hockey, learn how to skate, have fun with it, score some goals. I kind of figured at some point he'd want to try playing goal, but I, I didn't want to push him into that position. I think that uh, if you're going to be a good goaltender, it really, it really helps to learn how to skate well anyway. So I asked Brennan to play a couple years of forward, and if he still wanted to be a goaltender after that, then uh, then go for it. But, uh, you know, he, he did uh, he did play as a forward. He was really good at it. He learned, he learned the game, and then he, he decided he wanted to be a goalie. 
Brendan, what drew you to the goaltending position? Was it simply wanting to be like your dad, or was there something else in play there? Yeah, well, obviously a lot of guys want to do what their dads do, but it's just a cool position in general. And for kids, I think you get drawn to the gear and the masks and, um, you know, how much they talk about on TV. If you're watching a game, they talk about the goalie so much. So I, I think I was drawn to it in a lot of ways. Beside, besides your dad, was there a goaltender you, you cheered for, liked watching, looked up to, anything like that? Yeah, well, after he was done playing, I, I watched a lot of Henrik Lundqvist and Mike Smith in Phoenix, and I, I like cheering for those guys a lot. What was it like for you? Did you you played a lot of your minor hockey in Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah, I played all of it. What 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 was it uh, what was it like? Because I you know I know you know certainly the hockey participation has increased greatly in that area. But how would you describe your experience, maybe compared to a Canadian kid? Yeah, it was uh, it was probably pretty similar to a Canadian kid. Besides the fact of how far we have to travel, we were able to make a pretty good travel team. We we were able to make one. A uh, real solid travel team in Arizona for each age group, and then uh, you just have to travel fairly far to put, get other good competitions. So we had a lot of tournaments yeah. in California, Detroit. Uh, we actually went to Boston, Michigan. Uh, just a lot of traveling. Sean, what was what was that like for you? I mean, you're 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 a Canadian guy. You're you know a pretty uh, standard kind of uh, you know Ontario Hockey League. You played some Canadian national team stuff. You were drafted by New Jersey. You had that uh, journey to the NHL. Did you ever think you'd be raising a son in Arizona and he'd be playing traveling team hockey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't. And uh, you know, it was an adjustment. Uh, you know, I was still playing, obviously. Um, when Brendan was playing a lot of his minor hockey. So I did miss uh, a few of the trips and, and wasn't able to get to all his games. But I was real impressed. I thought that uh, in the years that, that I was playing there, the Coyotes obviously helped a lot with the interest kids had in hockey and, you know, bringing hockey to the Valley. So it started to really grow. And, I mean, obviously Austin Matthews, uh, you know, being first overall, it, it shows how far hockey's come there. But kids like Brendan, there was a lot of them that... Uh, you know, played their hockey, all their minor hockey there, and uh, and, and a lot of the dads, ex-NHL players, started to coach and get involved, and it's really come a long way. It, it's really probably uh, an ideal place for kids to play. You don't have the pressure of all these kids thinking they're going to go to the NHL and all the parents, you know, watching hockey every night. So it was, it was more relaxed, and I think it gives the kids a chance to develop a little bit better. Yeah, well, that that's 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 a really good point. Uh, Sean Burke, Brendan Burke, joining us on Inside uh, Sports tonight. Sean, a former NHL goaltender, Brendan currently with the uh, U of A Golden Bears as we uh, feature uh, father athlete connections all week here uh, on the show. Sean, I mentioned I had uh, you know Brian Benning, who you would have played uh, against in your in your career with Matt, who's now with the Oilers, and, and Abby, who's a Pandas defenseman, so another U of A connection there. And Brian said. You know, when he talked to the kids about hockey, he stressed decision-making, thinking the game, because the higher level you go up, the quicker decisions you have to make. And sometimes you have to know what you want to do with the puck before you even have it. From a goaltending perspective, Sean, was there a point where you were able to speak to Brendan more technically or more complex topics about goaltending? Do you remember when that kind of maybe ramped up a bit in your relationship? Well, I think from, you know, the early stages, you know, Brendan didn't play goal until he was 10 or 11. So it wasn't it wasn't that uh, he was so young. I could talk to him uh, 
almost as an adult from the time he started playing goal. And I, I just stressed a couple of things to him. One was to go out there and always have fun. I, I, I wanted him to enjoy the game, not put any extra pressure on himself. You know, when you play in Arizona, as much as it was great because hockey's not the number one sport, um, it is a small community, and everybody knew that his dad was an NHL player. So that puts a little pressure on just naturally. So I want him to have fun with it, and I want him to compete. You know, I thought that for him, uh, he's a good athlete, and if he just went out every day and competed hard and worked, that uh, he would have some success with it. That's really what I stressed to him. Brendan, did you did you ever feel that pressure? You know, you were the kid whose whose dad was in the NHL. Did that ever make it difficult for you, or what was that like? No, not really. Uh, is that Hudson over there? John yeah, chasing him up a hill right now. <laughs> Keep it down. Uh, that's my little brother. This is great. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I know. You know, when I was younger, kids noticed it more, and you know, kids were a little different about it. But as I got older and played more than enough hockey, it, it didn't really make a difference. Brendan, what what do you remember as being some valuable advice that that Sean gave you, maybe when you were a teen? Um, I, well, the most valuable thing is, you know, what you can tr- control. He talks about that a lot. And the only thing you control is how hard you work. So um, that's kind of the main thing he talked about. Uh, we didn't get really too technical until I started, you know, playing a higher level, which wasn't until I was around, you know, 14, 15. But up until then, it was just uh, control what you can control, and that's just how hard you work. All right. Sean, when when you saw Brendan go through the uh, the WHL, played for Portland and Calgary, uh, and, and then he joins joins the U of A. I mean, was the I mean, you know about the about the program? Were you kind of like, okay, that's that's cool. He's going to Edmonton to play university hockey, and and how did you help with that decision, if at all? Well, yeah, I I really you know left a lot of it up to Brendan. I I thought he had a really good junior career. Um, I enjoyed watching him in all the places he was in. I thought he, you know, he did he did uh, take Dad's advice. He competed hard. He had fun with it. And then when his junior was over, I, I wanted him to make a decision he was comfortable with. So we actually left London, uh, drove back out west together, and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it. And I just said, Brendan, you've, you've got to kind of make a decision that you're going to be happy with and, and something you want to... Uh, something you want to do and, and, and enjoy it. And he came to the decision himself. I think he knew a lot of guys that had, you know, gone uh, the, the college route and had a good experience with it. So he had he had some good advice, I think, from other people as well. And I, I was real happy he made that decision. I think it's a great decision for him. Yeah, right on, for sure. Well, you know, U of A, always a, a good program. Brendan, how have you enjoyed the expectations of being a U of A Golden Bear? Because it's kind of national championship or bust, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's strange. Uh, like a lot of teams, they put up banners when they win Canada West or their division and stuff, and uh, we're not like that at all. It's only if uh, you win a national championship. But I like that. Um, it's better to be on a team like that than a, than a bottom feeder, and I'm uh, I'm pretty fortunate. I've been lucky enough to play on a lot of good teams. All right, I want to I want to go down memory lane a little bit here with uh, with Sean. You, you played 820 games in the NHL and a, a few dozen more in the playoffs. But I want to go all the way back to 1988 with the New Jersey Devils because um, that was the year you guys went all the way. What was it to Game Seven against against Boston? And wasn't that the first New Jersey team ever really to go anywhere in the playoffs? What uh, what clicked for that team and for you that year? Well, yeah, it was actually the first Jersey team to make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, really what clicked was just uh, 
a group of guys that all got on the same page at the right time. And we had a young team. We had, uh, you know, a great general manager, uh, Max McNabb. Lou Lamarello was just come was just coming in. And uh, the team had really been kicked around for a lot of years. And, and all of a sudden we caught fire with about 20 games to go in the season and uh, made the playoffs on the final day and carried the momentum right through the playoffs almost to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, I was thinking about it the other night watching uh, Nashville. You know, when you when you get that close, you sort of think that you might be like that every year and you, and you, and you can go a lot of years with not having that same success again. So... Um, it was a great experience, but it was also a learning experience, and uh, and and it was a great uh, a great time to see a lot of good young players, Shanahan and John McLean and Kirk Muller, and all these guys went on to have great careers. It's just a good group of guys. You were later a Hartford Whaler, and, and Sean, you know they they've become a bit of a nostalgia team. Probably half the people listening now or so uh, never actually saw the Hartford Whalers play a game. They've only seen pictures and and, and videos. Um, and you were part of a Hartford team that, that wound up moving and becoming the Carolina Hurricanes. Let's face it, Sean, sometimes the Whalers are the butt of a joke. They were in the tough Adams division. They had trouble getting out of it. I, I think you might have played in a mall. You know, I work with Rob Brown, who <laughs> played there. But probably different memories for you experiencing it. What, what was it actually like to be a Whaler and be committed to that franchise? It was a real good time um, in, in my life. I think that, uh, you know, I came out of New Jersey... Um, you know, I went back and played in the Olympics in 92, and then Brian Burke made the trade uh, for me in Hartford, and I had no real idea of what to expect. And when I got there, uh, you know, we, I, I learned in a hurry that it was the only game in town. I mean, college basketball is really big in Connecticut, but the Hartford Whalers had a great following. We had a, a real loyal fan base, and uh, people were very passionate about it. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't have uh, a lot of success um, we had a tough division, as you said. There was Boston, Montreal were really good teams in those days, and it was tough to make the playoffs. But, you know, Brendan was born in Hartford. My, my daughter, Andy, was born in Hartford. And we, um, we laid down a lot of roots there. We, we have a lot of friends. One of my best friends still lives there. So Hartford, for me, was a really good time. And uh, aside from the, the lack of success on the ice, um, there was a lot of great things about playing there. All right, so uh, guys, you're you're both goaltenders. Do I dare ask you about goaltender interference? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll I'll let Brendan take that one first. He's uh, he's smarter than the old man when it comes to uh, analyzing the game these days. Yeah, well that's true, but um, <laughs> I don't know why. I I don't really like the new rule to review. It's, there's just too much gray area. I think they should go back to the way it was. And unfortunately, sometimes there's contact. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I find it really tough to judge, and I just can't. It can't seem. It's not possible making a system. I don't think. Sean, I won't ask you because I, you know, I know uh, you're you're obviously still working in the in the NHL, so I don't want to put you in a tough spot. But I mean, do you ever look at it and say, "Oh my God!" Like I used to get, I used to get tackled. Like I would have loved to have some of the goals I let in reviewed. Have you ever had that cross your mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, the guys. The, the, the young kids, the young goalies now are just a little softer than, than the guys in my era. So I, un, I understand that they've got to, you know, really make all these decisions based on the fact that you don't want to go near any of these guys because you're going to hurt them or they're going to dive or something else is going to happen. So I, I just, you know, in all seriousness, it, it's a real tough decision. And, you know, you want to play, you want to play the game, keep in mind the safety of the players first and foremost. But the game has got so fast. The players are so big and strong. 
you know, it really is a tough, it, it is a tough call. I, I just hope that, you know, as they go, go along with this and, and continue to look at it, um, you know, the, the most frustrating thing is when goals are disallowed uh, and, and the interference really had nothing to do with the goal going in. Um, you know, there's, there's a premium to score goals in this league, and we want to see as many of them as we can. And as long as the goalies are protected, I think there's probably going to be a better way to do it. All right, and and just to wrap up here, guys, with the with the father son angle, uh, Sean, I'll ask you I'll ask you this one: What advice would you give to a hockey parent who maybe has a twelve, thirteen year old son or daughter who has a chance maybe to play at the high a high level? Who knows? Maybe they can make the NHL. Maybe they can play youth sports. Uh, but what would you say to that mom and dad uh, listening who are maybe trying to you know help guide their kid uh, to the highest level possible? Well, the first thing would be at 12 or 13, you have no no idea and no way of knowing unless your kid's a prodigy. And there's very few of those, very few McDavid's out there, very few Crosby's. So at 12 or 13, that's just way too young to be projecting your kid as an NHL hockey player. I think that first and foremost at that age, you want kids to develop not only on the ice but off the ice. And, and there's a lot of great lessons you learn by playing a team sport and you know, committing yourself to working hard and combining your schoolwork and doing all the things. There's there's a lot of discipline that goes into that. So I, I would think that parents need to focus on that with their kids. And as you get older and you get into that age where you're 14, 15, and you're starting to develop, that's that's more of an age where you can be a little more realistic about things. But 12 or 13 is still a time to have fun and enjoy the game. And Brendan, I'll close uh, with you for this. What's the what's the best thing about being uh, an Alberta Golden Bear, and makes you think about a year ago yet you made the right decision? Well, I think it's the history. You walk into our rink, you see all the pictures of past champions, and um, you know that's pretty cool. But definitely the best thing is our GM Stan Marple. He's uh, he takes care of the guys so well, and they treat us so good there. It's uh, it's really the best I've ever been treated at any team I've played on. They they really care about their players there. Well, that's great to hear. Sean Burke, Brendan Burke, hey, thanks for uh, helping me uh, organize this. I, I know I was kind of bugging you guys to find a time, so thanks being to being open to doing it, uh, part of our Father's Week special here on Inside Sports. All the best to both of you, and I hope to see you both soon. Thanks, Reed. Right, Brendan, go home, and do your, go, go home and do your homework. You can't play softball all summer. Get your homework done. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> thanks, guys. Sean Burke, Brendan Burke joining us on Inside Sports. Well, that was great to have Sean Burke, his son Brendan, on the show. Thanks to everybody texting in their feedback to 630-630. Blue Jays losing 7-1 in the bottom of the eighth. More inside sports tomorrow from uh, 6 to 8. Glenn Johnson we will talk a little CFL rules and officiating with him. We'll also have the latest on the Eskimos. Uh, we'll preview a big rugby match coming up in Edmonton as well. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer this evening. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. Charles Adler tonight is next. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.